think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 298 of Low Limit Football on this 19th of September, 2020. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Gareth Bale joins Tottenham Hotspur on a loan and is immediately ruled out for one month due to a knee injury. Gonzalo Higuain has moved from Juventus to Inter-Miami as a designated player, but his replacement remains in limbo as the process has hit a snag in bringing Edin Dzeko to Turin. Bayern Munich opened their title defense in style with an 8-0 win over Schalke. Can they be stopped? We're going to definitely discuss that. And Leeds United gets their first win of the season in a 4-3 triumph over Fulham, proving again that Marcelo Bielsa has not read a book on Catanaccio. We're going to discuss all that and much, much more with our special guest, Tom Scholes from Talk Sport and the author of Stateside Soccer. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. I have something I want to mention to you, my friend. Well, I have two as well, but I'll let you go first. I have a pet peeve. And yeah. it's, it's with the graphics people of the Bundesliga. Um, Akanji in the match for, Bund, uh, for Borussia Dortmund uh, against Mönchengladbach today, I think it was like 11 minutes in, he gets a yellow card. And it is the first match of the season. It is the first 11 minutes of the season. And they feel the need to tell us that that is his first yellow card of the season. Really? Do we really need to? I, I mean, obviously not, because if it was his second, it would be a red card. I mean, come on, just tell us, okay, he got a yellow card. We're good, let's move on. They had to tell us it was his first one of the season. It's overkill on the graphics, and that's a pet peeve of mine. You, my Well, friend. let me ask you this. Is, is that better than hearing expected goals and all of that? <laughs> I saw that one, too. That is ridiculous also, expected goals. I mean, what, what do we expect for goals out of Robert Lewandowski? I mean, we expect... 50? What are you expecting? A goal every eight minutes? And all of a sudden, when he hasn't scored a goal in, in nine minutes, you have to put something up there like Lewandowski's overdue for a goal? I mean, expected goals? Yeah, basically, uh, this is like the, it'd be a random stats. Like, Lewandowski has not scored in the last 10 minutes. This is the first time since blah, blah, blah has happened. Like <laughs> Insanity, my friend. Some, 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 some stats are just unnecessary. I agree. And, I, and listen, 
I like stats. I enjoy them as well, mm-hmm. but some of them are just unnecessary yeah. whatsoever. So I completely agree with you, but I have to, uh, an even better question for you. And I okay. hate to ask this question, but I kind of have to, even it. though we're both in the same situation. Mm-hmm. How about them Cowboys? All right, shut up. <laughs> you and I are going to have words after the show, my friend. <laughs> That's it. And I was just actually t- texting my buddy that um, tomorrow the Cowboys game is not on in Connecticut because we got bounced for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And come on, really? We're talking about America's team here. But years are you going to do well this 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 season well it's like you know there's a lot of age going on I'm, I'm glad this is a great segue because we have a great show tonight and the trivia question which is first is about age so this is fantastic because we all know tom brady's almost as old as dirt right so let's let, let's talk about some young players okay <laughs> let's talk about erling holland and and, and uh, giovanni reina uh their combined age 37 years old they scored the three goals for Borussia Dortmund against Borussia Mönchengladbach. This is the trivia question. In the top five leagues in Europe, and this is according to uh, who scored, there are 11 players that are 37 years old or older playing in the field, not goalkeepers, in the top five leagues in Europe. I don't want all 11. I can give you all 11. I'd like you to just give me five of them. Oh. Five players out of 11 possibilities, 37 years of age or older in the top five leagues in Europe. That's the question. Can you give me five? All right. Let's let's do opening thoughts, my friend. And initially, we were going to do a quick preview of Germany and of Italy. However, uh, we we really got into detail with our guest, with Tom, uh, in our interview talking the Bundesliga. So I think we're going to stick to just Italy. And, and go from there. Uh, as we return to the Serie A season, we remember Juventus has won nine straight Scudetti. And uh, again, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo finishing second to uh, Ciro Immobile in goal scoring in the season. Now we've had some changes. We have Weston McKinney come in. We have Dejan Kulishevsky coming into Juventus. We have Andrea Pirlo coming in, a man that has just received... His coaching license this week. Um, my brother liked to, to say, who who gets to tell uh, Andrea Pirlo that he knows what he's talking about when it comes to soccer? This is one of, you know, in terms of a strategist, right, on the pitch, we saw what he could do with his feet. He was probably one of the most brilliant minds on the football pitch we've ever seen. I, I mean, I there there have been quite a few. I mean, Xavi comes to mind. There have been There have been many. But Andrea Pirlo is one of those where football intelligence just bleeds from his uniform. And and here he is. He finally gets his coaching license. Juve now are set to go and start to tackle this. Again, in the opening monologue, still waiting on Eden Dzeko. Got rid of Gonzalo Higuain. Blaise Matuidi, I believe they are still working on getting rid of Semi Kadira and his contract. There's been a little snag there. But this Juve team that's going to come on the pitch is going to look very, very different. Having said that, Inter are, are right on their heels. Lazio had a great, great season last year. Napoli look to be turning the corner, especially if they can keep Khalido Koulibaly, who has been uh, you know, looked at by Manchester City. A lot of talk has happened between uh, those two sides, and nothing has come as of yet, but there have been many, many rumors. There are a lot of challengers to this 10th straight Scudetto title. What are your thoughts, Rob, on this particular Serie A season coming up? I think 
And obviously, we always hope for the best in all these competitions. Uh, obviously, I, I know you want to see Juventus win again. Of course. But for the more neutral perspective, I think we'd like to see a race. And certainly, I, I think the the biggest downturn that Juventus will have is, of course, having to deal with that new coach. This isn't to say that Pirlo is good or bad, because we don't know. We don't know what he's able to do. I mean, we, we can go off friendlies, but that's not exactly the best judgment and, and assessment that you can make when a, a major competition is, is about to about to start. So, personally, I, I still think that them and Inter are going to be the ones fighting for it. I, I just, I, I hope that we do see Lazio fight it out, and, and obviously, you know, the talents that they have at the disposal... Um, is in, is incredible. I think we can mention what Chiri Mobile has done, and uh, aside to, between everyone on that pitch that uh, Simone Zaghi has, has been able to work with. But now they have to deal with so many competitions as well, going to Champions League. How will they manage that? Mm-hmm. And and again, I, 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 I think that it will ultimately probably go to Juventus for some reason. I, I just there's just something about them that makes them better than everyone else. But I think that Inter will really give it a go. I, I I would not be surprised, and I'm going to actually say right here, if it does end until the final day. I'm not saying that one of those teams will win. I'm not giving the prediction yet, but I think ultimately it will probably go down until the end of the, the final match day between both Inter and Juventus. I, I just don't see anyone else who probably would fight for that. I, I know Milan have Tenali and have gotten some other players as well, and maybe Napoli can do something. But other than that, I, I think it's going to be between the the two, basically a, a derby di Italia the whole way. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm I'm glad you mentioned AC Milan because I think the one of the big things that the move that they made to basically steal Tonali from Inter um, was brilliant. Uh, they bring in Brahim Diaz from Real Madrid as well, so they've really shored up that midfield quite a bit. They're, they look very, very interesting, and I think I think they might challenge at least for one of those top four spots. Another team that we haven't even talked about yet, Atalanta. Um, they've brought on a little bit of talent. They got rid of Timothy Castagne. He's, he's moved on, but they still maintain that core. Papu Gomez, Duvan Zapata, uh, you know, there's so much there. There's so much attacking talent there that we haven't even mentioned them yet, and it's going to be tough. I'll be honest. It's going to be tough to pick a top four uh, this season in the Serie A. I think... I think when you look at things like uh, the, the Premier League, you talk about, you know, I think many people are, are reserved to the fact that it'll be Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and then somebody. Um, I think for the most part, we look at the at La Liga, and we, we talk about Real Madrid, we talk about Barca, we talk about Atleti and Sevilla for the most part. Um, you know, there, there's there's Leipzig, we're, we're talking about Bayern Munich, we talk about Dortmund over in the Bundesliga. I think Italy is the toughest right now to really pick a top four because there's going to be about six or seven teams battling for that top four and the bottom half is not untalented you know what I mean they, they are they are reasonably talented and I think it'll be a dogfight throughout I think this is going to be one of the most competitive leagues that we see and just like we saw the t- the, the the race to the title last season even though Juve did lock it up with a few matches to spare the, the final table was a little closer and and Juve struggled really with the last few matches I think we're going to see that title race, Rob, because we did see it for the most part last season. I think we could see a four or five team race in this one this year, which will not be good for me, um, you know, physically, because, you know, I'll probably develop a heart condition or whatever. But I think it'll be great for Italian football to see. Uh, I I don't see that um, 
that it's less than four or five teams. I think it'll be, you know, six at least. And then we didn't talk about Roma or anything like that. There, and Napoli, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be vying for those, those spots. Um, the last thing I want to, I want to ask you real quick before we move into our, uh, our interview, uh, Capo Carnieri, we saw Chiro Immobile win that tying Gonzalo Goyin's 36 goal record. We saw Cristiano Ronaldo really battle him up to the end. I think we see those two, but do we see them um, break records this year, or do you think it'll be a little tougher for them to score? I think it'll be a bit more tougher. I, I just think that a lot of these players will hopefully uh, find the form necessary to to obviously you know score and and, and develop a good sense of, of form. But I think that record of thirty eight goals. Uh, too much it might be hard to break yeah, yeah. i think i think it, it will be a bit much for them at least i agree uh, we'll see i mean look we, we were close to it we saw it with immobile and maybe hey, maybe we see it we i don't know but my personal point my personal opinion i just i don't see it i agree i agree um so let's let's table that uh lastly uh prediction for a winner uh you're going with juventus yeah, I think Juventus do it again. I think I am. I am too. Uh, it's it's hard to not predict that they'll be the champions, especially when they made the moves in the midfield that they kind of needed to make. And um, it's tough to say no, but I think this season has the most questions, and the questions start with Pirlo, and they move on from there. And I think that's the toughest part because the other teams are so much better than they used to be that it is really going to be down to the wire. I'm going to say Juve because of my heart. But man, this is if there was ever a season where I did not know this was the season that I do not know. So um, real quick, because we don't have a Bundesliga prediction on on paper here. Let's give one real quick. I I mean, we talked about Bayern Munich in our interview with Tom. I'll be honest with you, Rob. I'm wondering if they can go unbeaten the entire season at this point. Not to say that not to say that Germany is not competitive, but my God, that team is is crazy. And I I really feel like. My prediction not only will be that Bayern Munich win the Bundesliga, but they don't lose a match in Bundesliga all season. I will make that prediction right now. How about you? I won't make that prediction. I think Bayern Munich will win the Bundesliga, but I think they will stumble along the way. Okay. Yeah, it's that's it, that team is 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 borderline dynasty right now and Hansi Flick has got them moving in all the right directions. Something seriously seriously good going on there and they're going to be fun to watch all season. So Let's uh, let's table our opening thoughts ta- uh, uh, discussion and let's get to our interview. We were we had the pleasure of having Tom Scholes from Talk Sport, the author of Stateside Soccer, join us to talk Tottenham Hotspur, who he loves, uh, Ligon, and the Bundesliga in depth. So, without further ado, the Tom Scholes interview. Joining us now on Low Limit Football from Talk Sport and the author of Stateside Soccer, Tom Scholes. Tom, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you on board. I want to start out with the team that you are a fan of as opposed to the areas of expertise that we're going to talk about tonight, and that's Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Making the big moves over the weekend here, bringing in uh, Gareth Bale for a loan uh, until June and bringing in Sergio Reguilón on a full transfer what are your thoughts of bringing these two players in, especially the idea of Bale coming on, coming onto the team as a loan and then immediately being out for a month with a, I believe it's a knee injury. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it wouldn't be Tottenham to buy one of the, one of arguably the best players in the world and then not immediately be injured. You know, we, we are Spursy for a reason, but I think, well, my first initial thought is when, when 
you look at the squad and when you look at the, the players that Tottenham have, it is very offensively and going forward, it is very talented. Defensively, we have issues. Well, I say have potentially had issues with this introduction of Regulon. I will admit that I'm, you know, as many people will know who, if they follow me on Twitter or if they speak to me or whatever, they know that my knowledge of Spanish football is relatively limited outside of, <clears throat> excuse me, outside of what you watch in the Europa League and the Champions League and the bigger games. So my knowledge of Regulon is, is, isn't as much, isn't as good as some other people but from what I've seen what I've read and what I've watched of him he seems like an incredibly exciting player he seems like more of a wing back than a full back and I think that's a definite upgrade from what we've had on, on both flanks on both full back positions with Matt Doherty on the right and obviously Regulon coming in now and I think it kind of goes back to what we were good at a couple of years ago where our full backs essentially became wingers and I think that's incredibly important to the way that we play and it's incredibly important to how the fans feel because when the fans are excited and when the fans are happy, then the whole mood around the club uh, changes. So I think initially, I think that's probably a, a, a better fit for the team uh, straight away. One, because Regulon can play. He doesn't have any injuries, at, at least that I'm aware of. But with Bale, I think that's more, you know, I'm torn in two minds about it, if I'm, if I'm totally, totally honest. I feel like it's one of them ones where, yes, it, it, it's 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 the nostalgia, it's the fun, it's being able to watch the old clips of him scoring that winner against West Ham, yeah, that taking Mike onto pieces and essentially ruining his ruining his career in the Champions League a decade ago. But my worry is that Tottenham fans think that they've signed the bail that we sold, and obviously that is not the case because he's far older, he's far more experienced, he's far more worn down than he was before. So I think my worry is that when the nostalgia and when the fun wear off, and he does come back into the team, or come into the team, and he's and he's at whatever his version of full fitness is now, that the expectation of him isn't to produce the same moments he did years ago, both for Spurs, Wales, and Real Madrid. But it is hard to not look at the excitement of the Spurs fans and kind of look and look at it and think, okay, something big's happened here because I can't remember the last time. You know, obviously Gareth Bale has a lot of detractors, mainly in Madrid. To be perfectly honest, it doesn't seem to be. A, it doesn't seem anti-Bale thing doesn't seem to be a thing over here. You know, my job is working at at the radio state, the, you know, the biggest radio state, sports radio station in in United Kingdom, and you very rarely hear a pundit or a presenter or or a phoning uh, a fan phoning in, saying anything bad about Gareth Bale. So I think my worry for that is. Is it a nostalgia signing? Is it a signing to kind of mask over some of the other issues that the squad may have? But you know, he's 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 one of the biggest players in the world. I can't remember the last time Spurs have ever brought in a player with that profile. And I think it's I think it is incredibly exciting to be at the centre of more or less the football news story now. And I think that's something that's very unusual. It's, it's something very unusual for Spurs to be at the front of the news cycle for something positive these days. So I'll take any positive I can get. I want to, I want to jump in here and I want to ask you uh, your opinion. One more question. Obviously now if you, if you played a four, three, three, which not necessarily Spurs will do, but they'd play a four, three, three of, of son um, of Gareth Bale and of Harry Kane up front. Is that the best front three in, uh, in the premier league, you know, or even in the world, in your opinion? Not the world, not the world, because I think that honour belongs to one of 
PSG or Bayern. And I think that, that that's a conversation that, you know, on paper, PSG's is better, on form, Bayern's is better. But in terms of the Premier League, I think on paper, it has the potential to be one of the most effective. And, you know, on paper, it probably is the best looking of the of, of, of any front three. Because you look at, you know, you look at Liverpool, obviously Salah, Mane, Firmino, very, very good, very functioning. But you do, you, there are question marks over Firmino whether he scores enough goals. Not that he needs to, because his role in the team is different to a goal scorer, but the questions are there. It's, you, know, you look at Man City, Sergio Aguero, Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, Red Mahrez, all of those kind of players. They're, very, they're more of a unit, I'd, I'd say. So I think because of that, how, how much Pep likes to rotate his squads, I do think it's difficult to pick a front three out of them. Chelsea is a very new-looking front three, so we don't know how they work. Again, it's one that's very exciting on paper. Arsenal is Aubameyang plus two others. So I think on paper, it has the potential to be... You know, I say on paper, it is one of the most exciting-looking. And I do think, you know, having watched all three at different stages of their career, and hopefully they gel perfectly now, that if we were to play a front three, it would be incredibly effective incredibly fun to watch and incredibly productive i think it will be very interesting because i think one you get a left back that i think spurs needed and you get a player like bale that could work in so many different functions be it a winger a striker attacking midfielder even a fullback if he has to and that wants his confidence back and feels at home so i think spurs have upgraded um a lot I think they still probably need maybe a backup striker. But again, I think it is that effect that maybe Mourinho has to these players. And it'll be interesting to see how they go this entire season. Uh, obviously, with a lot of expectations going on them to, to win something domestically. Uh, but shifting gears, you know, you had mentioned a, a front three that uh, in the whole who's what's the best front three in the world right now. I think we have to make the the statement that we saw yesterday and probably the best statement that we saw was with the start of the Bundesliga yesterday and Bayern Munich looking to retain another title in the Bundesliga a, what a great way to start their season off by you know a, a little small win 8-0 over Schalke at the Allianz Arena Serge Gnabry with a hat trick Goretzka Lewandowski Muller Sané getting his first goal you know, uh, Jamal Musalia as well. I mean, certainly this team seems unstoppable. And, you know, Tom, I mean, we saw also what Dortmund were able to do today against Mönchengladbach, a 3-0 win. Uh, a lot of youth on that exper- on that side with the likes of, um, uh, obviously, Giorena, Jane Sancho, Erling Haaland. Um, you know, there's so many young players on this side. But going back to Bayern and looking at that front three of maybe Sané, um, you know, Navary, Lewandowski, even if you have to put in Muller or Kinsley Coleman, there's no one stopping this team. There's no team, I think, in Germany is able to stop them. So with that being said, you know, is there any team in the world that could stop this Bayern Munich side as they look to, to repeat as champions of the Champions League? I think Bayern Munich are an absolute joke. I think they're an absolute joke of a team. And I mean that in a really, really positive way because they are a football equivalent of a cheat code on an old video game. It, they put together a team in such in such a fashion that it kind of makes a joke of everybody else. It makes a joke of how Barcelona run their club. It makes a joke of how you know PSG have strived and strived to spend a lot of money towards building, in my opinion, a very very interesting and effective front three. But Bayern Munich are just ridiculous. 
they just they're unstoppable. But I think it's the culture of the club that that really helps that. And I think the culture of the club, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the culture of Bayern Munich is one that they have to win. Not that not that they need to win. Not that you know a trophy would be nice, which I think is the is the is the mindset of a team like Dortmund, or you know, go back up to what we spoke about before, a team like Tottenham, where you know it would be nice to win a domestic trophy. It would be a positive, but it isn't the main aim sometimes. With Bayern Munich, they have to win. They have to win the Bundesliga and they have to win the Champions League. If they fall short of either one of them, it is nothing short of a disastrous season for them. And I think they've got a team now that is led by a very, you know, he was his, he was Jürgen Löw's assistant manager for quite a while, but he's a very, you know, straightforward, not a flashy manager. He's not a Pep. He's not a Jose. He's not going to steal the headlines. He's going to form the most effective team he can. And Hansi Flick is probably the perfect person to be running by Munich at this, per- at this moment in time, because very rarely does a manager with a big personality go into Bayern Munich and is universally considered a success. You know, Pep. Pep came closest where he had his own ideas. He had what he wanted to do in his own way. And, you know, it, it, you speak to some Bayern Munich fans now and they appreciate how good the team was. They'll appreciate how successful they were domestically, but they never really, I don't think they ever really bonded with Pep the way they did with someone like Jupp Heynckes, who was, some, who was almost the complete opposite of quite reserved, quite happy to let the team do the talking. He, you know, in 20 years' time, with all due respect to the great man, Jupp Heynckes isn't going to have a book written on him about his tactics, whereas you'd probably imagine Pep will. I mean, Pep already has. I'm, I'm actually looking at one in my own collection right now. But Bayern Munich is a club that is so typically German in the way it's run. Not necessarily with some of the sponsorship deals they have, because I think you know this, uh, some of the sponsorship deals that Bayern Munich and, and other clubs have is a, is a question uh, that we could speak hours on. And it's coming up to 20 past 10 in the evening where I am, and I'm far too tired to be delving into those those kind of um, those kind of conversations. But with Bayern Munich, they are so efficient. They are what Juventus thought they were a couple of years ago, where they would buy players on the cheap and develop them and make them into a good team. But Bayern Munich have a nice little mix of they can get a Navri, they can get a Lewandowski for relatively cheap. And then also, if they need to, they can go into the market and bring in a Leroy Sane, which is, you know, it's the, it's, it, it's you see how they played in that Champions League and then they just go and add Leroy Sane to the team. It's, it's, it's completely ridiculous. But they also have the ability now, which I think is one that really sums up how strong teams can be, is that they've got rid of Thiago to Liverpool, an incredible signing for Liverpool. But they can just put Kimmich there. They can just put Kimmich into the same position and he'll do just as well. And they'll put Pavard at right back and they'll, they'll shuffle, shuffle a couple of players around. The team balance won't change because it's the same players playing a different role, but they'll all know their role to perfection. They'll all know what they need to do. They'll still just be, they'll be just as effective. And they, they're a team full of people that know how to do it. They've got World Cup winners there. They've got Champions League winners there. Of course, they're all domestic winners, you know, whether that be the Bundesliga or the Premier League or wherever. And, you know, they're incredibly clever. They're an incredibly clever club. And I think there's no one in Europe, there's no one, certainly nobody in Germany, and there's no one in Germany, there's no one in the world, rather, that can stop them. 
Now, Joe, you know, we had this conversation real quick. Um, if you look at some of the players that didn't even play in that match uh, that were on the bench, you know, you look at uh, Nubo, the goalkeeper who came from Schalke, actually. Uh, Alfonso Davies considered maybe one of the best left backs, if not the best left back in the world. We saw Tolisio get a get in there. I mean, we saw uh, our, our own American, uh, Chris, Chris Richards, getting in as well at defense. So it, it certainly feels as if, though, there is going to be a lot to ask for for this Bayern Munich side. But one of the things that has definitely been criticized of Bayern Munich before this Champions League win that they had is the case of, you know, wrapping up the Bundesliga so early that I feel as if, though, they should have focused on winning the Champions League and going for that. And it ended up not working well because they always would fall short right. in the semifinals, in the quarterfinals or whatever. Can we say that with the team that Bayern Munich have right now, with all the depth and, and the talent that they have, even to replace with all the money that they've gotten, um, you know, obviously we, we saw Thiago go to Liverpool and they got a cool 30 million on that. And here they have Leroy Sané coming in as well. You know, can we say that this Bayern Munich side can indeed dominate on all aspects? And I don't want to say create a dynasty because that's just so early to say, but, you know, are they in the best position to do so? I think I think they are. You know, I'm just got, I've got the the roster in front of me of a list of players. Aside from a 34 year old Manuel Neuer, um, a 32 year old Robert Lewandowski, who by the way does not look a day over 27 the way he plays, um, and and a Jerome Boateng at 32 years old, they're really young. This this Bayern Munich side. You look at the midfield, the entire midfielder. The, I'm sorry, the entire midfield is no older than 26 years old, and that's Quarantin Toliso. They add Leroy Sané, and, and Rob, I know that we were watching the, the match on Friday, you know, remotely together. We, we kind of virtual watch these matches together, and I had said to you that Leroy Sané, the addition of Leroy Sané added a speed factor, especially on that right side, that they, not that they needed it, but they were missing last season. Um, Alfonso Davies really offers it on the left side, coming up the left wing, but Leroy Sané offered a totally different look uh, in terms of the, the ability to press and the ability to counter. And they destroyed Schalke with that speed. And, and this team is young, you know, you, you, again, like we've said, Thomas Muller, 31, Lewandowski, 32. Uh, you're looking at Jerome Boateng at 32 and Manuel Neuer at 34. After that, everyone else is pretty much under 26 years old. Uh, they got a, they got a goal from uh, Jamal Mus, uh, Musiala, the, uh, the, Englishman, 17 years old. I think he scored the last goal in the 8-0 win. They've got some youth here that they're bringing up as well as these veterans that are with them. And they just look unstoppable to me. It was something to see. I want to, you know, I've given it a little more thought after watching that match yesterday. 8-0 over Schalke is just amazing. And I know everyone, there were some people that were kind of making fun of the fact that uh, Weston McKinney leaves and all of a sudden Schalke is is well worse off than they were before the season started. Um, but this was not a Weston McKinney issue, 8-0 uh, against Schalke. For me, and I want to go to this with you, Tom, um, I, I thought about De David Wagner's job at this point. You know, Schalke did not finish uh, towards the top of the table last season in the Bundesliga. They did struggle quite a bit, especially when they returned back from the uh, pandemic break. And now Wagner starts out with an 8-0 defeat at the hands of Bayern Munich. Granted, a Bayern Munich team that is borderline um, dynastic, you know, to, to, use a, to use a grand word. Um, but how long does David Wagner have in his position at Schalke before people start scratching their heads and saying, hey, it's, it's time for him to move on, and they go in another direction? I think with with him, I think they've probably got, I would say, probably to the end of October, maybe to the middle to the end of October, because uh, there's no shame 
there's no shame in losing to Bayern Munich. Uh, maybe there is, you know, actually, when you lose 8-0, I think that's a little different. I actually think you could look at it and go, what, what are you doing? Like, losing to Bayern Munich is one thing. Losing 8-0 to anybody, you've got to be looking at them and kind of going, mm, you've got to be careful now, mate. Uh, whether, whether whether or not you're playing against Bayern Munich as a, as a bad scoreline to lose to. But I think the worst thing about Schalke, uh, and you touched upon it there, was when they came back from, from the from the coronavirus break, they just looked, you know, they just, they looked like they weren't there. And I think they just looked like a completely different side where the side beforehand, there was energy in it. It was, it was functional. It was getting results when it needed to. And then, they come back. I don't know whether the the, the break, the prolonged break, you know, ruined some of the fitness of the players or ruined the plan of the coaching staff or the lack of fans hurt them more than it would others because I, I believe that's a you know, that's a factor, not just for Schalke, but for a lot of other clubs that has kind of gone unmentioned in a way that when you have such a, such a, a large support backing you and then all of a sudden you're expected to play the same way without that support backing you is very difficult. But, they just look, I think the worst way that you could look as a football team is lost, is that you can you can lose games and still look like you're going in a certain direction and still go, almost like um, when Arsenal, I'll use them as, as an example, when Arsenal lost to Brighton and they weren't off to the great, the best of starts under Mikel Arteta, there was that look of, okay, they've lost, you know, they've not won the three points, but there is a direction people understood that it was a long-term thing. They understood that, you know, they weren't playing badly. They weren't playing amazingly, but there was a different style that needed time to progress. I think with Schalke, you know, there is no style. There's nothing. There is, they're, they're losing games or they're dropping points and you don't know when the next win is going to come from. And I think it's, you know, David Wagner... He was here at Huddersfield. He did incredibly well to get them up and then keep them up, and then he left. And then it's kind of like everyone's just forgotten about him. And it was a case of, I, I can't remember, I was talking to somebody online yesterday, and I was like, I can't remember the last time that I watched Schalke and just went, yeah, that is a, that's a good team. That is a team that I, I'm going to go out of my way to watch when they're not playing Dortmund or Bayern. You know, I can't remember the last time I, I said that. And I think that's, you know, that's testament to how... David Wagner has set this team up and not in a good way, in, in a way that you go, you know, we're sitting there and going, yep, you've lost 8-0 to Bayern, but it's not just that result. It's the results that came before it. it there's a lot There's a lot that needs changing. And of course, getting rid of someone like Weston McKennie, who is a top player, I do think he's a good player. But as you said, there are issues in that team that are not related to McKennie leaving. McKennie leaving doesn't help, but there are more to that. There's more wrong with that team than just him departing the club. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I, it makes you wonder if, if they're going to be able to stay up and when they move on from Wagner, if if they move on when they do it. I think, uh, you know, if there's always that uh, th- those those betting lines as to who gets sacked first. I think David Wagner at this point has to be one of the top names in the top five leagues of Europe just because of, of the performance. Um, Rob, mm-hmm. I, I want to I wanna run over to you real quick because obviously we saw Dortmund. You, you, you'd said something about the youth earlier with the 3-0 victory over Mönchengladbach. Certainly... I would say the match of the week in the Bundesliga to start the Bundesliga season. These are two teams that are Champions League bound. And the incredible um, you know, youth that we saw at the starting front three, I know we've talked about front threes here, given whether it's Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, Robert Lewandowski, or we talked about Kane, Son, and, uh, and Gareth Bale. 
uh, this is another front three that I think has to have people people's mouths watering in Erling Holland, Claudio, I'm sorry, not Claudio Reyna, my goodness, Gio Reyna, and, uh, and Jaden Sancho, given the fact that the combined age is 57 years old. I mean, these are, these are 20 year olds. These kids aren't even old enough to drink in this country yet. And they're scoring <laughs> goals like crazy. I, I want your thoughts on, on the, on the Dortmund front three and how dynamic it was. And especially Rob, you know, when we watched this match, I, the, Thor, the Thorgan Hazard injury was an issue, and, and I, I, I sent to you right away, what is, what is Dortmund going to do now? Because Hazard is one of those key pieces to their attack under Lucien Favre. They lose him, and they almost got better because of it. It was, it was a strange thing. What are your thoughts on, on their performance to open the season? Well, I think it's certainly, I mean, obviously we can understand why Bayern Munich have an advantage because of the, the depth and obviously the talent that they have. But uh, this isn't to say that Dortmund doesn't have that either. Um, obviously... I'm not going to say that Dortmund have enough to perhaps leap over Bayern Munich and win the Bundesliga. Um, I just feel like there's just Bayern are too good at the moment for any team to stop them. But having said that, I think when you look at some of the players that we saw on the pitch, I mean, you know, Jaden Sancho, um, I think it's kind of a, a blessing that we got to see him in the Bundesliga for, for another season after all the rumors that we saw of him going to Manchester United. You know, we clearly saw in, in the results of both teams who needs more um more than the other team. So in, in early Holland, I feel like, you know, if he's going to repeat what he's been able to do over the last few months, that he's going to score 50 goals or something. I know that's a bit dramatic, but Hey, you never know. Um, but still, you, you still have, you have wonderful talents. You have Giovanni Reina scoring. I mean, you have Reina coming from Real Madrid, a, a top talented young player um, that came from Brazil. Julian Brandt is, is also very talented as well. Um, Bettingham from England. I mean, this team really does have a lot of depth as well. I think this isn't to say that they're kind of uh, a step, just a little step below a Bayern Munich. But having said that, I, I still think that hopefully by the time that we get into the swing of things in the Bundesliga, that we do see a good race. Because I think we always appreciate a good race between two big teams. And hey, if someone else wants to join in, by all means, I think we've seen that over the last few years uh, where even though Bayern Munich have won, it, it took a little bit for them to, to secure the title. But, um, yeah, I, I think um, this Borussia Dortmund side is very talented, and, you know, I, I think they can definitely do something in the Champions League as well. And, and may, hey, you never know. Let's see what they can do in, in the Bundesliga and if perhaps surprise all of us and just go completely wrong about Bayern Munich. I mean, that would be that would be nothing short of the fantastic. But, obviously, Tom, going into another league that I think has definitely gotten a lot of attention you would say and obviously seems a bit uh abnormal you would say when we've been accustomed to what this league has done over the last few seasons and i'm talking about league um obviously we saw psg make it to the final of the champions league uh losing to bayern munich but that doesn't mean that also teams like Lyon had made it to the semifinals um but none of those two teams are even within the uh, the top five at the moment, you know, we have Rennes leading the table. You know, they just beat Monaco as we as we record. Currently unbeaten with three wins and one draw. I, I think a talented side that definitely deserves a lot of attention. Um, obviously, I think uh, Eduardo Camavinga is, seems to be a player that almost every team wants to have in the future. Um, obviously, they'll be in the Champions League as well this season. I mean, Tom, how serious should we pay attention to this league of race? And yeah, uh, we have to say it. It is a race. And for the first time in probably a while, we're not seeing PSG in there. I think, you know, as somebody that enjoys visiting Paris as often as I do, uh, obviously not now, because I am keeping very safe. But 
as as you know, what French football needs is two things, in my opinion. Number one, it needs a consistent title race. Because as we saw when Monaco won the title a couple of years ago, with like the team of Bernardo Silva, Fabinho, Mbappe, Falcao. An incredible, you know, incredibly gifted, incredibly exciting team to watch. It needs that race and it grips people because I think people have a, you know, you know, for, football is one of them things where if you have a lot of money and how you get that money, if you have a lot of money that people consider to be you know, wrong or whatever, then you're immediately hated. You are public enemy number one, which is why nobody wanted Man City and PSG into the into the final of the Champions League or at least to win. And I think the second thing ties into that a little bit is that in order to get a consistent title challenge in Liga every year, you're going to need some another club to be bought out the same way the PSG was. Because before PSG were bought out, they were a middle-of-the-road, young, kind of nothing club. You know, they, they, were, they were Paris's premier club, but they were consistently mid-table, occasionally fighting relegation, occasionally going on a cup run. And then they got bought out, and then they just blew over the likes of Lyon, um, Marseille in particular, they went out of the water and then every now and again you would see Bordeaux under Laurent Blanc win the title, that was gone. Montpellier with Olivier Giroud, that was gone because these teams couldn't keep up with Paris Saint-Germain who brought in Thiago Silva, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Javier Pastore, Jeremy Menez, Ezekiel Levetsi, all of these players that were just far and away the best players in the league and they just, no one else could keep up with them. So I think... As good as you know, Ren are at the moment. I, I would. I, Eduardo Camavinga is one of them players where I'm like that. You know, when you watch a player, and I'm sure you two, you guys have seen this with many players over the years. You know, when you watch a player and you go, ah, he's a star. He's going to be the one. He's going to be one of the leaders of the next generation. I saw that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit here and say I saw him first, as some people would. But when you watch Camavinga play, Eduardo Camavinga, even when he was making his debut, even up to now, where people are aware of him, he has that about. He has that poise about him. He has that. You know, he carries himself in the way that he knows he's very good. Not in the not in an arrogant way, of course, but in the way that you look, you watch him and go, you know, you're good, and you know you can make a difference. And I think he's. I think he's. I think he's a wonderful player. I think he would. Uh, there's a lot of talk. Thomas Tuchel in his press conference today essentially put pressure on uh, Leonardo, the sporting director of Pitt Paris Saint-Germain. He said, we don't need a left-back. That's not a priority, but they need a central defender, they need a central midfielder, and they need another forward to replace the players that they've lost. I completely agree with everything he said. They, they probably need two midfielders, if anything, because watching when they lost to Marseille last week, they were poor. They had no creativity. Marco Verratti is a wonderful player, but he's not getting any younger, and he can't do it on his own. Adrissa Garnagay is the same thing. Very good at what he does, not getting any younger, and he can't keep going forever. And I think PSG, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they probably put in a bid because Leonardo has gone on uh, the French television programme Canal Plus Sport, which is essentially their Sunday night premier uh, sports programme after the last Ligue 1 game of the weekend is, is over. And he went on there and he was saying, look, he's a player that is interest, we're interested in. He interests he interests the club. He knows he can get him for cheaper now after the COVID-19 situation. And he's also a player that the Emir of Qatar has apparently got a personal eye on. 
I remember reading about this, and the last time that the Emir of Qatar, who is who is, it's not it's not beat around the bush. He he owns the club. He that's his money that's going into the club. Mm-hmm. The last time he was so enamoured by a midfielder in the same way that he is by Camavinga was by a young Marco Verratti at Pescara when they when he first took over, and they went out of their way to buy them. They he they went out of their way to go to Pescara and say we want him. He's the one we want. Convince Verratti of the project that he's still there. I think that is something that that could happen with Camavinga and PSG. If PSG really want him, they'll go and get him. But I think going back on what Liga needs, it needs it needs somebody to be taken over. Perhaps not by the same people that took over PSG, but somebody that is willing to spend a lot of money and keep players around. Because I think as good as, as you know, as good as it is to see players from Liga dotted around Europe, and oh, I remember seeing him when he played for Dijon. I remember seeing him play when he was at Lorient or Saint Etienne or these kind of clubs. It'd be better if they stayed, because if you take, I know you, you could see these graphics on Instagram of what would happen if Ajax had kept all their players and they'd have like the best team ever, but. I think you, know, you look at Lyon, where they're not dominating domestically anymore, and they're not, with the exception of this year, they're not going that deep into the Champions League as often as they would like, or as often as they used to. So they have to find ways to make their money in a different way. And they've decided that create, creating young players, that sounds like it sounds like a video game, but nurturing young talent and developing them over the years and then selling them on for however much money, you know, will take Hussein Alwa, who's obviously heavily linked with Arsenal. They brought him for the youth academy. They're probably going to sell him for upwards of 60 million euros. So that's 60 million profits of what they used to have from a, from a player that essentially cost them nothing to, nothing to, to play in their team. And I think, you know, you, you, you would hope that, some of these teams can hold on to their players because if they were to hold on to these players and develop them the way that they would like to, I could just I could just imagine a Leon team with Undombele, Lacazette, you know, all them players that they've let go in that team would be it'd be exceptional. Mm-hmm. And Monaco are the same. If Monaco had kept hold of their players, that's off the bat, right there, you've got three teams: PSG, Monaco, and Leon that could quite easily be champions year in, year out, because they, they could be that talented. So, yeah, I think it's important for the league more than anything to have a title race because it has a reputation, a reputation that I don't necessarily agree with and a lot of other people don't necessarily agree with either. But as long as they, if they were to keep hold of their talent, if they were to have the financial clout, which, are, you know, they have a new television deal, which might help. It might bridge the gap ever so slightly, but... I just hope that I just hope that the st- stability in French football comes in other ways than having to sell off your talent, because when you sell off your talent, you essentially just become like what Portugal is. And I'm not putting Portuguese football down, because it is obviously a very talented league. There are a lot of good players that come out of that league, obviously. But there are three teams that are predominantly featured when it comes to Liga Nacional, if that's what is still what it's called. Which again, I showed my knowledge of it. But you've got Porto, you've got Sporting, you've got Benfica. Everybody else is just trying to make ends meet. And my worry is that Liga and French football is the same thing, but with one club instead of three. So if they can keep hold of their players and financially stabilise themselves with other means than having to sell sell off their stars, then it's all for the better. You know, I, 
just going back to Kamavinga, the composure um, is is something that, that you don't necessarily see in a 17-year-old day in and day out. And the goal that he scored against Montpellier earlier in the season was was kind of a, a, a picture of, of that composure. His ability to dribble um, in and out and kind of shake and bake and shake off the defender and then get the shot off was, was something fantastic. Uh, I agree with you. You know, think of... Think of uh, a player like Alexander Lacazette that came up through the Lyon system and then Lyon sold him. I, you know, I always look back also to Marseille when they did that, when they sold Andre Pierginiak, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of dismantled and, and are growing back in again and, and kind of d- developing those players. You, you want to see the Lyons. I mean, Lyon is not any old small club. They were a seven time champion. If I were, you know, and the number might be wrong, but I could say, I could swear it was seven times that they won uh, in a row. Uh, in league, yeah, they were the, they were PSG in before two thousands. Yeah, I think they, it was. Yeah, they were PSG before PSG was, and you know, and, and now PSG. I, I guess the one good thing is that the, the talents like Mbappe are being bought by PSG and staying in France. But it's not with French football in mind. It is you know, like you said, with the Emir of Qatar, it is really the uh, the Champions League. That that's that's the focus. Yeah. That's that's the the golden ticket. Uh, it, it's not really about French football for PSG right now. It, it feels like it's more like world domination than it is French domination. And um, and it's refreshing to see teams like Rena, um, even, you know, the run that Lyon made last year in the Champions League. It's refreshing to see those those French successes because it, it maintains that level of the league versus, like you said, the Portuguese league, which is not a slouch, but the Portuguese league, like you said, is Benfica, Sporting, and Porto, and then everyone else just trying to make it uh, make it happen. And and you don't want to see those players get sold off and, and really turn it into a top four league or even even a top three in in uh, European football. You want to see it stay at least a top five, and maybe even the Portuguese league and the Dutch league come back into the fold a little bit more and and really make it so much more diverse. I think that would be the one of the best things for for world football. You know, from in my opinion. Um, before I let you go, I do want to ask you one more question. I want to ask you a PSG question, and I am a little bit of a coaching junkie. Um, you know, sometimes I, th- I feel like the the coaching changes are even more important than some of the transfer uh, transfer window changes that you see in world football because it can be so effective. You know, case in point, Nico Kovac for Hansi Flick. Right? I, look what that did for Bayern mm-hmm. Munich. They were they were I think fourth when they made that move uh, last year in the Bundesliga and. And the rest is history. Um, Thomas Tuchel comes to mind because I know that there's always a lot of pressure on Thomas Tuchel to win. And, and I know he returned three trophies last year and really in the span of uh, about 20 days uh, for PSG last season and almost came up with a quadruple in the Champions League. Um, but obviously starting out uh, with two losses on this season, we had the coronavirus incident with these players in Ibiza, but they've only scored one goal so far in three matches, which is not PSG-like. And many people, I would say, would start to point the finger at Thomas Tuchel. Uh, in regards to this, he would become the scapegoat because you're not going to sell Neymar. You're not going to sell Verratti. You're going to get rid of Tuchel and move in a different direction. And Max Allegri is still out there in the world that people are talking about. Maybe he's the next PSG coach. So how long does Tuchel have? And, you know, before he gets this turned around and going back in the right direction, um, or they or is PSG already looking to make that change? I think with Tuchel. I think I kind of feel sorry for him in a way mm. because the first big job he had was replacing Jurgen Klopp at Dortmund. And the, ma- the only way he could have replaced the, 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 fa- the, he, the way he could have replaced Klopp in the eyes of the fans is if he'd have won the Champions League. That was the level of job he was walking into. 
he still did incredibly incredibly well there, but he's kind of forgotten about his, his time at Dortmund by some by some fans. And he's walked into PSG, and yes, you said he won a domestic treble in the span of like twenty days, but it's very much you know this this, this is a club that is expected to do the domestic treble every single season and if they don't win one of them then it is all out disaster because they are so much stronger than anybody else in that league they are so much better they are so much uh, wealthier his main goal is to win the champions league three however however four five however many weeks ago i've lost track of time because of there's so much football on but if he'd have won that game if he'd have beat Bayern, and if he'd have been the one to win the Champions League for PSG, I guarantee it, without a shadow of a doubt, his job would not have been in question. Without a shadow of a doubt, he'd have stayed, or he would be staying. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even be in the question, because he would have been the one. The same way that Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool is the one to deliver the title, the Premier League, First Division, whatever you want to call it, title to Liverpool. Whoever does it for PSG will have the same way. Thomas Tuchel is not a bad manager. He's in a bad situation where he cannot win because he managed to get the best out of Neymar. He's managed to get the best out of Mbappe since he's been there. He's managed to get the best out of Di Maria. The only player, the only manager that could come close to that, to that claim is Unai Emery. And his entire reign is marred by what happened in that night in Barcelona, which is still incredible now. I still don't, I still don't understand how they lost that game, but you know, that's another that's a, that's another hour chat there. <laughs> but Thomas Thomas Tuchel has got the best out of Neymar. He's managed to make Neymar a team player. I think Neymar's a wonderful player. I think he's incredibly talented. And when you talk about talent, he's one of the best in the world. But there was an accusation that you could say that he wasn't exactly interested in playing for PSG the same way he would have been for Brazil or Barcelona or Real Madrid. But this past season, brilliant for him. When he came back from the lockdown, he was the reason they got to the Champions League final. Let's just, let's just put it out there and be straight about it. If they don't have Neymar... They don't even beat Atalanta because that's just how it was. Thomas Tuchel will probably be sacked. I probably if if they if they don't start the season, if they don't start picking up more wins, then I think he'll look at it and go. I think the club will look at it and go, let's get somebody else in. The first name that comes to my mind isn't isn't necessarily Max Allegri, although he probably would be if if I was if I was in charge of PSG. If we're playing that fantasy, yeah. my first choice is Max Allegri, because you look at a manager and go, you look at your options and go, okay, what are what's the club's goal to win the Champions League? How many managers are out there that are available that would take that job? Who have done it? None, none, because you look at it and go, who's the elite manager out there right now? Well, number one is Max Allegri. Number two, you'd probably say Pochettino. Pochettino has never won anything. Max Allegri at least has domestic silverware with Juventus and two Champions League finals to his name. Mm-hmm. I think it was two. Yes. Um, yeah, well, yeah, Barcelona and Real Madrid, yeah, two. So he's he's been there, he's done it, or at least he's been there, done it and lost. But he would be the, if you're going to make the change, keeping in mind what the club want to do, 
Max Allegri is the most ideal man for that job. Pochettino probably gets he probably gets a, a shout because he used to play for the club. He's probably got that connection with them that Max Allegri wouldn't. Although there is the argument that the, the PSG that Pochettino played for is not is not the PSG that Pochettino would be managing because it, it is you know you know I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Throughout this whole lockdown period, I have been working on a massive project regarding the history of PSG that I want to get published at some point. And you look back at the history of it, and it's a completely different team, a completely different club, a completely different set of fans, a completely different mindset. And I don't think Pochettino is is the right person. I can't look. I've I've enjoyed some of the best years supporting Tottenham with Pochettino in charge. He lost that dressing room after the Champions League final because he spent the whole time talking about how he was going to leave if they'd have won it. He lost the dressing room of Tottenham. That's not in the grand scheme of things. That's not that's not a massive club. It's not an elite club. It's not a PSG level club. If he does anything like that with Neymar, with Mbappe, with players like that, I I, I would love to I would love to hear the conversations between him him and Icardi and what nonsense they be arguing about. I just don't see it being. A, I think Pochettino and Paris Saint Germain, especially with the players they've got, is not a match. It is not a match. Max Allegri is one of those coaches. He reminds me, in a way, of what Max Allegri, uh, sorry, of what Carlo Ancelotti used to be. Where Carlo Ancelotti, you can pick him up, you can put him in any big club, and he will do a job because he knows how to manage personalities and situations. I feel Max Allegri is is like that, and in a way, I think that's what PSG need. They don't need a manager that will get, you know, to, to borrow a, a mainly an American sports term, but the X's and O's of a match. Mm-hmm. They don't need anybody like that. They're good enough for that. They just need someone that knows how to manage big game situations to avoid being embarrassed on the big stage, who knows how to get the best out of big players. And I don't I don't see anybody else out there who's available, who would go to that team that is better suited to that than Allegri himself. Tom, great stuff. Great stuff, man. Before, before we let you go, where can people find you online? So... My Twitter is at underscore Tom Skulls. I say that questionably because I don't. Most of my time on Twitter isn't actually spent on my own personal account, mm-hmm. but you can find me on there. I'm usually chatting some sort of nonsense. Um, yeah, I, I kind of just. I'm relatively <laughs> inoffensive. I don't. I'm not that interesting. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm just some fella. I'm just some fella from the same town as Mil- as Delhi Alley. So I'm just enjoying everything. I enjoy the sports. If you enjoy some random chat about how much he dislikes Arsenal, even though they just won a game, I'm your man. But you can find me on there. You can. I'm, I'm dotted about all over the place. My name is the same. It's the same name on everything. Underscore Tom Skulls. Fantastic, Tom. Thanks again for joining us on the show. Uh, we had a great, great time, and look forward to having you back again soon, my friend. No worries. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been really enjoyable. And thanks again to Tom Scholes for joining us on the show. Rob, let's get into matches of the week because we've got a, a jam-packed week this week. Let's start out. Libertadores, don't forget, is on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night. Rob, I want to get, just before we move on with our matches, I want to get two seconds from you on Flamengo um, getting just demolished on the road, going to Independiente da Valle, the 2019 Sudamericana winner, and the 2020 uh, Libertadores winner just gets smashed 5-0. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, it was an absolutely 
wonderful result for Independiente del Valle to defeat the reigning Libertadores champions. And, and you know, this Flamingo side has dealt with a lot of issues ever since getting rid of Jorge Jesus, who, ironically, has also been bounced out of his new club in the Champions League. And I'm talking about Benfica. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dominic Torrent is really... Uh, I mean, certainly, I think they found their form in the in the league over there in Brazil. But certainly in the Libertadores, that is not the best way to to kick back your campaign to look uh, and repeat as champions. But, you know, more credit to Independiente del Valle. They're, they're a really young, good side. I think, obviously, winning the Sulamericana last year gives them a bit of recognition. And they're one to watch for. They're, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they get probably contend to win this Libertadores, but, you know, they have a lot of young players out there that are really talented. And, and again, like, like we were always accustomed to with the Libertadores. Um, it's kind of the the academy for, for young South American players before they make that jump to, to Europe. So definitely a team to watch out for. And they were definitely fun to watch in that match too. It was, it was certainly enjoyable. So, but don't forget um, Libertadores Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday night, check the local listings because there are a ton of matches. Um, let's move on and give you the premier league match of the week right now, which is going to be Wolves city. Uh, Diogo Yoto, we didn't talk about it, but he's moved on to Liverpool. Um, Wolves will take on city Monday at three fifteen PM. Then on Wednesday, we have Inter-Miami, possibly with uh, newly minted Gonzalo Higuain, at home to New York Red Bull, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Uh, from there, we're going to jump to Saturday in the Bundesliga, Bayern Leverkusen, RB Leipzig, Saturday, 9.30 a.m. Then from there to Ligue 1, where St. Etienne hosts Rena on Saturday at 11 a.m. Then we have a couple of matches to watch on Sunday, starting with La Liga, Barcelona-Villarreal, Sunday at 11 a.m., and Roma-Juve, closing out the weekend Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Definitely some good matchups to watch this week. Rob, let me give you the trivia question again real quick. And yep. it was uh, it was based on... Erling Holland and Claudio Reyna, their combined age, 37 years old, scoring all the goals for Dortmund against Mönchengladbach on the weekend. There are 11 players in the top five leagues of Europe that play in the field, not goalkeepers, that are 37 years of age or older. And I'm, I'm not asking for all 11. If you just give me five of them, we'll complete this uh, mission. All right. So, well, one name I think is the most obvious one. Um, and... Obviously, a name that everyone likes to either like or dislike, uh, the AC Milan striker, Slatin Rahimovic. 38 years old, the, the the magnificent nose, as Roy Hudson would would, uh, would say would call him. He is definitely on the list. Who else you got? Uh, second name, I'm going to stay to Italy and go to Parma and mm-hmm. go with Bruno Alves, the defender. 38-year-old defender. He is on this list as well. There were quite a few of these in Italy, by the way, so I'll give you that as a little hint. Go ahead. Give me three more. Uh I won't go to Italy. I'll go to Spain on this one. I believe he's still playing at that team. I'm just going to go with a big guess. And that is at Real Betis, Joaquin. 39-year-old midfielder is still on their roster as of uh, as of this uh, as of this morning. So, yes, Joaquin, 39 years old. He is number three. Give me two more. All right. Uh, Dude, I'm going to really stay well. to Italy. I think he played. Did he play today? I'm trying to remember. Uh, Fiorentina uh, winger Frank Ribery. He did play today, and he is 37 he years old, and he is on this list. <laughs> One more. Okay, cool. And I am going to go with. Oh, Giorgio um, Chiellini. Giorgio Chiellini is not. He's 36, I believe. 36. Okay. Uh, Okay. Uh, Hang on. I I got one. I'm trying to think. Oh, okay. I'll go to England. I'll go to England for this one. Uh, 
Um, I'm mm, going to stop you. There are no English players on this. Or no players There's from no England English players. No okay. players from England Never on this mind. You still have uh, players from Italy. You still have uh, Spain. And you actually Spain, yeah. have one player from France. One player in France? Yeah. In fact, the player in France is the oldest player on this list that I have. Wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, let me try Italy one more time. Sure. Uh, oh, of course. Of course. Um, Sampdoria. Fabio Quagliolera. 37-year-old striker will be facing off against Juve on the weekend. He will be number five. I'll give you the other names that you did not get. Uh, Bologna's Rodrigo Palacio, 38 years old. Elche's yeah, Nino, right. uh, striker, 40 years old. Uh, the, oh, wow. the ageless Goran Pandev at Genoa, 37 years old. Crotone's right. defender, Nicholas Spoli, 37 years old. Benevento, Christian Maggio, defender, 38 years old. And the oldest player on this list at Montpellier, Hilton, defender, Hilton. Hilton. 43 right. years old. Those are your 11 players in the top five leagues that are 37 years of age or older, going with... Uh, Reina and Holland scoring those goals uh, on the weekend. So you're making me feel old, man. <laughs> you, you, I, these guys. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for some of these guys to cross the forty line so they can join my over forty team. What are you talking about, old? <laughs> oh man. So without further ado, let's hit the closing music. Do it. There it is, man. All right. So for episode two ninety eight of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Tom Scholes for joining us. Next week, we'll bring you all the reviews from Libertadores. We'll talk up more Italy as they get going, Germany, and the rest of the world, and everything else in world football, and maybe some transfer news. So, for episode 298 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.